0: Every career is a journey. Every leader has a story. Welcome to Journey to the Energy C-Suite, where we look at the strategies and techniques that turn solid leaders into top executives. This is your place to hear practical wisdom and guidance from real people who know what it takes. With your host, Ryan Sanford.
1: Hey again, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Journey to the Energy C-Suite. I am your host, Ryan Sanford, and I am joined today by a culture strategist, keynote speaker, and author of business books such as Whiteboard Sync, A Company of Owners, and Evolution at Work. He is Dr. Darren Martin. Darren, thank you so much for joining me today.
0: Hey, I'm really excited about uh, being on with you today. Thanks for having me.
1: Awesome. Well, for the folks who haven't heard of you yet, why don't you tell us a little bit about Your background, you've got a fascinating background. You've been advising CEOs and doing a lot of keynote speaking, uh, along with the work that you do writing books. Just help us understand a little bit about how that came about.
0: Sure. So, I think one of the most important things is that I actually ran, started, and ran my own business for 20 years. So, I know a lot of people that advise companies that have never you know, done anything in an actual company. So, uh, you know, I, I've laid awake worried about making payroll the next day and some Mm. of those headaches, it comes with a, you know, small to mid-sized business. So about, uh, I don't know, I'm, I'm a bad gauge of time, but let's say 15 years ago, I sold my business and, uh, started looking around and decided to go into advising, consulting, whatever we want to call it. Um, I got on with a little boutique consulting firm, got some early wins, uh, a large defense contractor, a very large oil and gas company, a yeah, growing oil and gas company. Um, and from there, as I say, when you go into all sorts of different kinds of companies, you start to see the good, the bad and the ugly. And <laughs> I saw a little an equal measure almost, but I, I started seeing repetitive patterns. Uh, of what was working and what wasn't working. And uh, that's when I started writing books about it. The books, you know, took off. A Company of Owners has been a my best bestseller. In fact, it's now mm-hmm. Wall Street Journal and USA Today. Um, and it's just a short, quick hit read that a CEO can read on a plane ride, uh, but have a really great reaction and response to. So the books are kind of my attempt to... Uh, help fix this thing we call the world of work, <laughs> and I know we'll get into that as as, yeah. as we go through this conversation, but uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of uh, my journey to where I am now.
1: Yeah, and you're really known as a culture architect. You've spent a lot of your time thinking about, writing about, advising companies on culture. I want to talk yeah. about culture. We're going to spend some time on this today, but let, let's talk about it. Um, This is uh, this is something that uh, it's almost like when you think about culture and changing culture, it can be almost like thinking about boiling the ocean It could be a really broad topic. Um, But I wonder when you think about culture, when you go into a company and you start advising a company, starting to observe their culture and think about how they might change it. What are some of the key pillars of culture that you would typically uh, pay attention to when you're advising the CEOs that you work with?
0: Well, so the first thing is, um, there's a, there's a proverb that says the beginning of wisdom is calling things by the right name. And that's typically the biggest challenge is helping executives get a bead on what is really, really, you know, going on at the company. And I've had experiences, you know, where I go in and interview 150 people and come back and they've all said the exact same thing. And then I go and report that and they go, no, that's not true. I'm like, okay, (laughs) well, pretty much people at every part of your company said this is the deal. So I think that's one of the biggest challenges is just recognizing calling a culture for what it actually is. I always say culture is a trailing indicator. Uh, If you look at the behaviors, the beliefs, the kind of language that's used in a company, those are all indicators that, and all of that stuff makes up culture, by the way, they're indicators of people, how people are actually feel about going to work at that company, right? Uh, If they don't feel supported and, um, you know, like they're progressing in their career and like the company is doing something for them, they're going to be less engaged. If they're not committed to the company, whatever that company is doing they're not going to be engaged. So you really have to hit kind of both elements of it, have something that people are keenly passionate about participating in, and then have something that, that's there for them as well. And so that's what I do. I go in, figure out what's going on. I had an opportunity right going into COVID. The guy called me up and said, uh, hey, something's not working. It was at a hotel, a very nice boutique hotel here in Dallas. And he said, can you come in and take a look? So I went in, interviewed the team, and I called him when I left. And I said, you know, Larry, not only do I know what's wrong, I know how to fix it. <laughs> and, it, it, you know, as I'm sure you know, in so many cases, it was just a massive leadership problem in this case. Now, that's not always what what's, you know, broken. Uh, but we made some big changes, and actually that hotel went from being over a year and a half, went from being 54 for TripAdvisor locally on, in Dallas to number three. So it's amazing what happens when you when you get the culture right, when you get the right people uh, in leadership. Uh, you know, it can be a, a very profound change.
1: And you've worked with lots of different companies and lots of different industries. You've worked with a lot of organizations in the energy sector. Um, how what percentage of of companies would you say have a great culture? And, it, and, it, and, and when you think about those companies, what makes them great?
0: So let me name a few and then I'll get to the percentage because uh, I want to give you some statistics that might be a little mind-blowing for you. But so when I think about great cultures, I think of, of uh, companies like Patagonia. I think of the Ritz-Carlton. Uh, I think of companies, you know, we go Ritz-Carlton, you can go complete different direction, in and out Burger, Uh, you know, Chick-fil-A. I mean, there are all sorts of companies that really get the culture piece, no matter what, um, you know, product they're selling. I mean, you know, hamburgers is very different from a high-end boutique hotel. But the one thing they all have in common is great cultures. Now, unfortunately, that is definitely the minority. And let let me tell you how I can say that with such confidence. If you look at the polls year over year, Gallup continuously shows year over year that there's a 15% employee engagement across the globe. Now, America's a little better. It's at 29%. And then the other number is that 85% of people either greatly dislike or hate their jobs. Okay. So we've got to look and say, well, in, in that case, I would say 15% of companies have great cultures or people wouldn't be saying, I hate coming to work. And then when you couple that with this, that only 16% of executives say their company culture is where it needs to be. Well, the whole story is right there, which in my mind, if I knew that as as a leader in a company, if I knew that as a CEO, a business owner, I would stop down everything until we figured out how to get the culture right, because companies are leaving massive amounts of money on the table. By having low employee engagement, it's just a fact, and it shows up in the numbers. I think I read somewhere that it's, it it cost companies a trillion dollars, you know, globally to just have low employee engagement. So the story is very, very uh, apparent, and i you know, it's always baffling to me that this isn't a higher priority for a lot of executives out there because it can really make a big difference. Uh, there was one Harvard study that showed when companies get their culture right, they see upwards of 756% increase to their net profitability over the course of 10 years. Now, I I would be salivating at that. You know, if you go into a company and said, hey, you can have a 756% increase to your net profitability. I mean, the shareholders ought to be screaming for that, right? What do we have to do to get that? But for some weird reason, culture... Uh, gets gets sort of the short straw. In fact, I, I had an oil and gas executive tell me one time that, uh, "Oh, that's just a fancy term that uh, consultants made up to sell business." <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, keep on thinking that way, but I can tell you right now, that's not the case. It is the it is the the, the most important thing about what's going on at a company.
1: so, so is it work, quote unquote, work that's broken right now? Um, is and and if so, is how do we fix it?
0: So I've I've been you know kind of pondering this for a while because I get questions when I go to speak to executives. Uh, they think it's the people, you know, it's the millennials. It's these you know kids don't want to work, uh, and they've got the hot sports opinions. They feel like they're engaged. Why can't all of our people be engaged? When you talk to the 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 people that are out, as I say, closest to the valve. Well, they think it's the company and it's the leadership. So either we've got really terrible, sucky workforces around the world, right? Uh, Or our leadership is terrible. And I finally came to the conclusion, I don't think it's either one of those. I think it's the paradigm of work, how we think about work. We basically adopted a model of work back when we went into the industrial revolution with factories and you know work became a clock punching sort of deal not a not a soul embracing you know experience and we reduced work down to one agreement and tell me if you don't think this is true but the basic agreement about work today is you come to work you do what i tell you and i give you some money in fact i'll i'll hear you know old old guys you know say well they get a paycheck that should be enough and i'm like it's not enough <laughs> what if in your marriage you know you came home every day and she says I you know we don't have a very good marriage and I'm miserable and I don't like well I bring home the bacon you know that should be enough yep. you've got furniture right <laughs> I mean it's just such a short-sighted uh look and until we figure that out which I think we're in the process of doing because covid has kind of forced some of that right
1: yeah
0: uh, working from home people that things have People have been asking for it for a long time. Finally, came to reality, and we found out in some cases it works. In some cases, people like it better going into the office. But we just haven't. We've changed everything else. Sorry, I'm, I'm on my rant right now. But uh, you know the way we shop, the way we date, the way we uh, we order food, the way we travel. I mean, everything has. You know, the way we communicate through social media. Everything's changed. Guess what hasn't changed. It's still that old structure of, you know, like I said, clock punching and yeah. eight hour work days and five days a week. And, you know, it, it's work is really in need of a massive reinvention.
1: There, there have been a lot of articles written. Uh, some people are calling it the great resignation. I've heard other companies call it the great reconsideration, as people are thinking about. Yeah. Uh, is this really the kind of work I want to do? Is this how I want to work? Are, are these the people I want to work with? What, is it aligned with my purpose? Um, but but to your point now, I'm thinking it maybe it's more of a great disruption. Um, not just COVID, but um, the way people now are rethinking and the options that people have for their careers are much broader now than they were even two two to five years ago because you're not geographically constrained to only work for a company that's in your backyard where you can you know make it yeah. there within an hour commute. Now, you maybe there's a, a larger possibility of companies that you could go to work for other industries. Um, how are you thinking about that in terms of how um, the, those forces are are disrupting the way companies have to think about attracting talent, promoting talent, yeah, developing talent? Absolutely.
0: Yep. So on the team member side, and here's something else that I think needs to change is all of our nomenclature bosses up and down the chain levels of the company. You know, we have this very hierarchical and which there's nothing wrong with the hierarchy if it's if it's a, a um, an effective and a, and a well-serving hierarchy, because that's the world we live in. But when it's this dominance hierarchy or it's this, you know, well, I'm the boss and you should do what I tell you. That, that just is, those days are gone. So I, I think when it comes to team members, they've got to be entrepreneurs. They've got to be looking for themselves and say, hey, uh, as I tell them, the, the only person that cares, the person who cares the most about your career and about your job and what you do is you. And you've got to take that and, and own it. You know, I, in a company of owners, I talk about how do you make yourself indispensable to any organization? And that's by... Not waiting for them to take charge of what mm-hmm. you're supposed to be doing, but you you do it right to kind of map your course. I've coached people that have gone on to start positions at companies that didn't exist before because I saw it as a need and said, "Hey, why don't you put together this thing and you'll propose it? You're the right person for it." And unfortunately, people don't think in those terms. Mm-hmm. Then when it comes to the hiring and the firing, you know, attracting and retaining top talent, which is top of mind awareness for most executives uh man you gotta have something for them when they get there uh you gotta you have to create an environment that they love being a part of i did a keynote for a company called select medical a couple years ago it was for their 500 top leaders and people they were kind of awarding at the end of the year for some great work and i'm standing in the coffee line they've got fifty thousand employees that they did at the time it's probably uh, gone up since then, but I'm standing in the coffee line and the girls tell me about the company and how much she loves working there. And it's great. And she says, my brother works there. My cousin works there. My, my aunt and uncle work there. My grandmother work. I mean, she's just I'm exaggerating <laughs> a little bit, but she's rattling off, you know, my best friend. And I was like, well, how did they all come to work there? She goes, Oh, I, I told them you got to come work for this company you know you have a great company culture when the best recruiting, or maybe even the only recruiting, is coming internally, right? Um, I can't, it was years ago, uh, I, I'm sure it's changed with Tony She passing and some other changes, but Zappos, it used to be harder to get a job at Zappos, a $12 an hour call center job than it was to get into Harvard, okay? <laughs> Just statistically. So, you know, that's when, you know, you've got something that people just love being in that environment. I, you know, I got to at Zappos back when, and they, it was just simple things. Everybody decorated their desk like they wanted. They, you know, they celebrated what the company was all about. They were selling shoes. So it's not as hard as executives uh, seem to think it is because it feels like a daunting task, you know, oh, we're going to tackle our culture. Where do we even start? But I actually think it's a lot more simple than, than we make it out to be.
1: Now, you talk about an, an evolution at work, and, and you've written a book about that. Now, what what do you mean by that? What what evolution?
0: So the, the little book, An Evolution at Work, uh, it, it is available, I believe. Uh, actually, it is on Amazon. But it started out as a uh, manifesto, the Work Evolution Manifesto. And then I kind of changed it, and we did some cool graphics with it. But it's things like we've got to get to a peopleocracy. Okay, we talk about all the other kind of ocracies, uh, you know, a meritocracy. You go somewhere based on your merit and all of that. But the the single common denominator with every job is it involves people. And until we realize that the people are the most fundamentally, you know, important part of the company, they're they're the glue that holds things together. So we've got to, you know, I'll just give you a few of them real quick. I tell people I pay for outcomes, not activity. Don't tell me how many hours you spent on something. What did you produce? You know, and that's, that's kind of the way I look at it. So all of this idea, you know, if someone works better in fits and spurts, and likes to get up at two in the morning and, and you know, work for a few hours, why do we want to create a structure where, no, you have to be here from eight in the morning until, you know, five in the afternoon? Um, you know, the work from home thing, again, has, has just shown, you know, study after study that people actually give you more discretionary effort when they work in their own environment. Um, we've got to get away from the siloed uh, structure that we experience this is the bane of just about every company I talk to silos. This department doesn't know what mm-hmm. this department's doing. And we got to start thinking about work as an organism, not an organization. If I drop a brick on my foot, my hand doesn't say, oh well, at least it wasn't me, right? <laughs> the whole organi- organism is 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 suffering. But we have such disconnected companies that sales really doesn't care what's going on with manufacturing. Where's my stuff? You know, there's not this synergy of working things to create this sort of seamless flow, this enterprise, a true enterprise, uh, versus just a bunch of pockets. So, I mean, it's things like that, but it's mainly around our mentality of what we think work is.
1: I want to, I want to think about the lens of the leader, put yourself in the shoes, let's say of uh, you know, sort of a, um, a VP level leader in an oil and gas organization. Um, They're they're not the person who's casted the vision for the entire enterprise, but they do have a culture to look after within their own business group. How how can that leader um, really kind of assess on a regular basis how people are feeling about the culture um, that exists within that group and the larger organization and then make those adjustments when they need to?
0: What a great question, because it really does. You've got to start at home, right? Uh, boiling the ocean of the entire company unless you're in a position to be able to you know, move that kind of initiative forward. You've got to start with your team, create a great culture there, and trust me, it will be reflected. I remember hearing about a uh, lady who worked at a call center, and this was a really oppressive environment. <laughs> I mean, you? You could only take, you know, bathroom breaks at this time and that time, you know, you you were going to be on that phone and there was no, you know, at your leisure, if you want to go have a smoke break or whatever, Mm -hmm. it was just this crack the whip. And finally, this one leader said, I'm done. I'm just done with this. And she got her team together and said, Hey, listen, we're going to produce, but we're also going to have a great time at work. And, you know, if you need a break, you take a break. And if you need to go, you know, to the bathroom, duh, go to the bathroom, mm-hmm. you know? And she gets called in two or three weeks later, a guy that was close to this company said she gets called in and she's like, okay, I'm getting fired. Uh, you know, he's, he's gonna fire me, the boss is gonna fire me. And she goes in and he says, uh, what in the world are you doing with your group? They're outperforming every other group we have here. And so she tells them. and that changed the company. I mean, sometimes there's those pivotal things that can that can happen. But I, I feel for leaders because more often they feel kind of like their hands are tied or they're, you know, stuck with maybe a bureaucratic system. Uh, oh, by the way, one of the other evolution things is is uh, people over policy. Uh, I can't stand it when you've got these draconian policies that aren't good for anybody, you know, versus some very innovative things like Netflix and we don't have vacation, you know, stipulations. Just go. And if you're not taking it, we're going to come, you know, uh, tell you. There's a bank in Texas called, uh, I think it's called Happy Bank. And one of their deals is, look, if you miss too many of your kids' events that you should be at, you're going to get a talking to Because we are family first here. Now, if you got if you're going to go to your kid's soccer game at two on a Tuesday, you make sure that you're covered and you've got. But they put heavy emphasis on you know, hey, take care of your family. Um, So those are some of the just rethinking. I I I think that we've got to get to.
1: And w- what I've seen, too, is there are these sort of sacred cow, whether they're policies or procedures, the way we've always done things that exist in organizations, and it takes a courageous leader to, to stand up and and just confront, why are we doing it this way? Yeah. What yeah. value are we seeing uh, by continuing to, do, to have this policy that, you know, I'm seeing detrimental effects of, you know? How are you seeing that? And I know you, you do a lot of coaching as well. So you work with individual leaders too. Um, how are you seeing uh, that challenge?
0: Well, first of all, you got to search out those cows and kill them <laughs> with malice. Okay. <laughs> do, do a big barbecue, right? Um, but one of the issues I see is we communicate the rules, but we don't communicate the thinking behind the policies of the rules. And I'll give you a very, very simple one. Uh, I went into a chicken place one time and they had a like uh, a three piece dinner special and it was a, a, a piece of breast meat. It was a, a thigh and a leg or something like that. And I said, hey, look, instead of that, could I just get the, the three piece deal? But I want wings. And the person goes, no, we have a no substitution policy. <laughs> and I'm thinking if the owner was standing here listening to these words coming out of your mouth, I mean, the reason is someone says, well, I have like three pieces of of breast meat, you know, the most expensive piece for the restaurant, but the person wasn't encouraged or given the freedom to actually think mm-hmm. it was just follow the rules, follow the rules. And that you can translate that, that into corporate America. I, in fact, I read a whole book about it called unbeach your company. And I talk in there about your beach dwell company. If, you skimp on technology, you know, if you, uh, re, you know, have a, a negative environment at work. And then I talk, of course, about how to unbeach, do this instead of that. Um, but that was born out of my experience of being in some companies and just scratching my head saying, how can y'all still be clinging mm-hmm. to this outdated system? This outdated? How, how many times, Ryan, have you been on a on a phone call, let's say, with a communications company, like a telephone company or something? And I hear this invariably. My, I'm so sorry. My syst- the system is really slow. That, that's an easy fix. It's an expensive yeah. fix, <laughs> but that's an easy fix. Yeah. And when you put people, when you give them broken equipment, or you give them, you know, um, I, I was at a oil and gas company, and I was out in the refinery, and I came back and told the plant manager, "Hey, these guys set out of, you know, six available pumps." only two of them are working and what's the deal. And he made a very interesting comment. He said, uh, well, if they think all the equipment should be working all the time, that's just not going to happen. Okay. And in my mind, I'm going, why is that such a weird, I mean, this is a, you know, we're talking hundreds of millions of dollars blowing through this place every day. Right. Why would you not want to perform at your optimal? But I, I, I told him, I said, okay, well, let me ask you which appliance at your house is it okay if it doesn't work for three months? You know, the refrigerator goes out, y'all yeah. just leave it sitting there. You know, y'all having everybody over for Thanksgiving dinner and only one out of the four eyes on the on the <laughs> stove work. He, he got this look like, Yeah, that wouldn't go over too well. No hot water, I can't pick an appliance, yeah. you know? And it it really made him kind of wake up and say, Okay, you know, if you if you want to empower people then give them what they need. And I always say, I would, I would come back and say, hey, look, they're complaining, but they're complaining about the right things. I'd rather them complaining about the, you know, we could be a lot more efficient if these pumps were working than talking about why can't we have better candy bars in the break room kind of thing. So yeah, that people will tell you what they need if you just ask.
1: So how often should companies, specifically the senior leadership teams, be evaluating their culture? I know there are different ways and mechanisms that companies do their annual surveys that they can do on their employees engagement levels and things like that. But um, typically you'll see it when a new CEO comes in and takes over. Culture is a big emphasis. And then all of a sudden, a couple of years later, you don't see as much of, a, of an emphasis on that. I mean, what's the frequency
0: it's, in my experience, it's a flash in the pan. And a lot of those annual surveys are, you know, not really worth the paper they're printed on. Because if, if company culture is something you do one, one day out of the year or one week out of the year, one month out of the year, heck, you know, it, it's not uh, going to be effective. It has to be something that you live and eat and breathe. And it is the number one uh, performance qualification for people in leadership. I just, I believe that. Because if you're empowering the team, right? If you're able to get the team doing what, you know, they want to do and what they're supposed to be doing in in an effective manner, then it's it's easy to sit back and just support them. You know, it ought to be a, a bottom to top or top to bottom that, you know, leadership is there to help people coming to work and doing the actual work be effective and it gets turned on its head uh, many times Mm. so I've got a I've got an illustration of curling in my book a company of owners and then I ask the question you know the sport of curling you've probably seen it on you Mm -hmm. know the Olympics the only time I ever see it but you know is the manager the one throwing the stone Or is the manager the one going and sweeping the debris out of the way and making it move faster or slower to hit the target? And I think you can make an argument, well, maybe they're both at times, and I think that's valid. But I think mainly when you're in a leadership role, you're in a support role.
1: Now what, what's the biggest mistake that you see leaders making at large? Is there a common, a common thing that you're seeing across the board with the the leaders you're coaching and the companies you're advising?
0: Yeah, it's, it's basically what we've been talking about, not paying more attention to culture, but it's also things like shooting the messenger, right? If someone's disgruntled at work or they've got a complaint and you don't take that seriously, just like, Oh, they're just a bunch of complainers. Well, Find out what's really going on. You know, why are they saying these things? Uh, I did. I at a very large company. Let's just say, um, a big big number, probably Fortune fifty. I was helping them get this culture or this initiative going. And it was interesting. Somebody said, Darren, I've been at the company 29 years. How many different initiatives do you think I've seen? And I said, I don't know. And he goes, 29. <laughs> like, there's one a year. This is the flavor of the month. So to get them, you know, actually interested in what we were trying to accomplish, I started teaching the S-curve, the life cycle of every, every company, right? You got the learning curve, then you've got the rise, and then you've got, if you don't reinvent yourself and mm-hmm. keep coming up. I mean, Apple's the king of this, that, you know, it was the, it was the, the, uh, iPod and then it was the, the iPad and then it was the iPhone and then it's the watch. I mean, they just keep, mm-hmm. you know, layering. So I taught that and then I had all, it was the top 18 executives and a, this up and comer that they had promised the moon to this guy. They really wanted to build a lot of their future around. So I said, okay, take a sticky note and go put it on that curve where you think we are. So fast forward six months later, I go, they tell me this young buck that they had promised the moon to had quit. I said, that's that's weird. To take a little small software company. And I said, well, can I talk to him? He said, the CEO goes, yeah, Darren, do whatever you want. Of course you can go talk to him. So I go talk to him. He tells me the same story three times. Well it's, you know, more time with my family, it's this, it's that, it's the other. I said, finally I looked at him and I said, tell me why you're leaving and he said darren do you remember when we did that s curve exercise and i said yeah and he said do you remember where all the sticky notes were they were on the rise you know we're getting close to our peak but we're going strong and everything's awesome and i said yeah and he said do you remember there was a sticky note on the far bottom right side falling completely off the s curve like it dropped off that? And i said yeah i thought it Came unstuck and fell down and He goes, no, that was mine. <laughs> and he said, when I saw that our entire executive team thinks we're doing great as a company, I realized I got to get the heck out of Dodge. I can't turn this ship. So, you know, people like that are priceless, but they leave companies every day and never even get asked, what did you not like about working here? What was your experience like here? So I, I, I think that's a big finding out what's really going on is, is, is every executive's job.
1: Yeah. This has been a really fun and fascinating conversation. I've got one more question for you. Um, and I want you to kind of put on your uh, look into your crystal ball, I guess, into, into next year, into 2022, what are some of the biggest changes you think we'll see in the world of business and leadership next year?
0: And and I may I may go a little more macro than that, but let me tell you where I see it going in general. It'll be it'll happen next year, but it's going to happen definitely over the next five years. First of all, uh, uh, decision tree based jobs are going away. They're they're gone, right? If this, then that. And think about all those in the industries that that impacts. You know, where you move things around, kind of. Um, I agree with Seth Godin. He says, if you work at a job or somebody tells you what to do and you do it, prepare to be fired because they're not going to need you. We've got machine learning, we've got AR, we've got all sorts of, you know, uh, uh robot, you know, experiences that are starting to happen. And so I think that the shift is towards the, the much more creative ideation coming up with cool things. Um, I saw a a video of a Lego factory years ago and there was like one person walking around with a clipboard and the machines were just working, churning out these Legos. Like, I mean, it was a finely tuned machine and where were the people? Well, the people were in the room dreaming up, Hey, we should do a dancing bear with, you know, a tutu on or something and just coming up. Well, we should do Star Wars. You know, they were doing the stuff that I think we were created to do. Uh, you're going to see a lot more of the gig economy surface. We've already seen that where people are going to hop around. Do not count on a five, 10-year window to ask about, well, you, you promise you'll be here for the next 10 years. Is just that, That's just not the world we live in right now. So you companies have to be prepared to really pay attention to the kind of stuff we're talking about today. Because if you get your culture right, it will be its own magnet. People will come to you, you won't have to go to them. Uh, and I think that's the biggest challenge because um, you know, what's 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 going on right now during the midst of all of the, the pandemic and everything, I mean, it's just been the, we're gonna look back, you know this, but you know, 10, 20 years from now and really see a clear picture of what's happened with this and be blown away by amount, the amount of changes that it's created.
1: Yep. Darren, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been just really fun for me. Hey, before we let you go, though, for the folks who are listening that might want to check out some of the books that we mentioned today, where can they find those?
0: Okay. So the easiest way to find me is spell my name right. Uh, www. That's not my name, by the way. Dot (laughs) obviously Darren, D-A-R-E-N one R and an E just think Karen, but with a D martin.com Darren martin.com. Uh, we are almost flat out of a company of owners we're waiting on our fifth printing it's the new edition and it's got some new bells and whistles so you can actually go on our website if you can't get it on amazon because they're they're getting close to being out of stock uh and pre-order that but all the other books are available either on our website or on i mean every major you know walmart target um, barnes and noble amazon um like i said just spell my name with one r and an e and you should you should find something
1: perfect perfect well i'll also drop a link in the show notes so people can access it really easily with uh some more information about darren hey darren again thanks for for joining us and sharing your wisdom and insights with us we we really really appreciate it maybe we'll see you again sometime
0: i appreciate ryan hey can i mention one more thing real quick you bet the global company culture association we started a couple of years ago. That's a mouthful. And if you would drop a link for that, it's free to join. So if people have liked our conversation today, they're intrigued by culture and they want to be a part of a bigger movement, just go join the Global Company Culture Association. Perfect. So we will drop- have,
1: I'd love to have you as
0: a member. <laughs> so come on.
1: I think I'm sold. I think I'm sold yeah. now. Your <laughs> personal invitation is always the best way to get somebody on board. Yeah, yeah. I'll drop a link. I'll drop a link to, to the Culture Association in there too, Darren. Thanks a lot. Okay. And thank you, everybody, for listening again. We'll be back soon with another interview on the Oil & Gas Global Network. Take care, everybody.
0: Tune in next week for another enlightening episode of Journey to the Energy C-Suite, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.